This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspective. They're also co-authors of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. When you give a gift, do you ever give money? What about gift cards or stocks? chocolate money or commemorative money from the U.S. Mint. We're going to talk about giving the gift of money and year-end tipping today. As always, we're also here to take your personal finance questions. So you can give us a call to join our conversation. The number is one mpb ring It's 1-877-672-7464, or you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning to you both. Hope that you're doing well today. Good Good morning. Uh, any interesting things from the weekend? Hmm. I went to the Christmas parade in Clinton, and it was wonderful. The weather cooperated. We had a great parade. A lot of people out there. Everyone was having a grand time. It was just small town at its best. Uh, I would recommend the Canton uh, display of lights mm. on their oh, courthouse square. Yeah. I've never been there. Went out there uh, during the Thanksgiving weekend, and I think they do a great job there. What I like, too, is you can walk around, and there's things to do, but there are a, a, a number of different things that they've set up st- specifically to be kind of like take-your-picture-here sites and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, And actually, that's actually the first time I've ever been to the, the courthouse square in Canton. So very, very nice little place and went to a... Uh, one of the shops along the square there, and I, I got a uh, an old-fashioned Santa Claus, probably about <laughs> 18 inches tall. You know, I, I can't have a Christmas tree due to my cat. Uh, mm, so okay. I was taking a chance, and I thought, well, this is, you know. So, uh, so far, it's been standing up on a shelf that he has access to, and he has yet to knock it down. So Wait till you get home. <laughs> it's only Tuesday. Yeah. So hopefully my cat has Christmas spirit and he will ignore uh, the Santa display there. So um, so what about uh, financial news in the news? Well, of course, this is uh, kicking off retail season. And uh, as we've been talking about for several weeks, we pay very close attention to that because that tells us um, basically how consumers are feeling. And, uh, you know, just looks like it's starting off pretty well. And for everybody hoping to keep their cheap goods from overseas flowing into the U.S. We have a, a little reprieve on implementation. Yeah, but that changes this, from but, day to day, um, you know. Um, so so I think the market reacted pretty well to that, uh, although we're you know still kind of uh, down from where we were a month or so ago. But uh, yeah, a little reprieve on that, I think, is, is nice for a lot of folks involved. So as we are in the last month of the year, are there some things that you would advise people to do, financially speaking, as we wrap up the year? Well, we've already been looking at um, 
uh, as we look at those investment portfolios, are there things that we can do that can cut taxes? So if you have some things that you have losses in, you may want to go ahead and sell them. Be careful if you want to buy them back. You must wait 31 days or you'll be subject to the wash rule and you'll lose that valuable tax loss. So that's a main thing that we're doing. Yeah, and also folks who have been either planning or could do charitable contributions, going ahead and getting those in at the end of the year. Um, you know, uh, we've talked about it before, donor-advised funds where someone can contribute, say, a large amount of appreciated stock and get the tax deduction in that year, and then they have, you know, however long they want to distribute that money to charities. And so, you know, there's a little bit of paperwork involved in transferring those assets over and getting that done. So making sure people don't do that last-minute rush, it's not, it's not just as easy as just writing a check. And if I'm correct, this is the last year for the current uh, tax laws, and then next year the new tax laws kick in. Is that correct? The, this year, uh, the this year has the new tax laws. You will be doing your taxes under the new tax laws for the first time but, next okay. year. But remember, but it's always we're looking in the rearview mirror. Every, right. everything, everything you do this year, everything you earn this year is subject to the new lower tax rates, uh, higher standard deduction, which is one reason we talk about donor-advised funds. It allows you to do a whole bunch of years' contributions in one year, but still maintain that consistent giving pattern that that you want and that the charity needs. What is an appreciated stock? So that's a stock that has risen. Um, So when you buy a stock, obviously you're hoping that it goes up. Uh, And if it rises, you know, we call it uh, a capital gain. Um, And it is unrealized as long as it's just sitting there in your account and you haven't sold it. But when you sell it, say you buy a stock for $100, it rises to $200. Uh, That is an unrealized gain of $100. You sell it, you have a realized gain of $100. And it's, it's when you sell it that you owe the taxes on it. You can you can sit there and hold it and not sell it for as long as you want. You don't owe taxes on it. Um, but the, what we talk about when we're talking about donating it, when you donate it, you get to donate that full value. So you get to deduct that full value against your income. Now, understand that when we talk about capital gains, appreciated stock, um, that does not apply to retirement accounts. Okay. So much right. of what people have in the stock market is in their retirement account. And so we don't really even and worry about those issues. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Today we're talking about the gift of money. Uh, if you have ever given someone uh, money as a gift and want to share uh, your thought processes on that, let us know. Also, we're always looking for your personal finance questions, and we've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. It's money at mpbonline.org. So I guess there are some... Some uh, restrictions on how much money you can give to someone else? Is, is that the case? Yes. So there is a, it's called the gift tax limit. You, you can actually give as much money to someone else as you would like. You're just going to have to face some tax consequences. You can give, uh, 2018, um, they, they raised the amount that you can give anybody, and it is $15,000. And that is from one individual to another. You can give uh, 10 people each $15,000. And 10 people can give you $15,000. You can also make five years worth of gifts all in one go. So that would be $75,000 at once. Of course, then you can't give any money to that person for five years. If you give more than that, and sometimes this happens inadvertently, if you give more than that, 
it's not a huge deal. You're just responsible for paying taxes on that amount. Um, and it's you're effectively paying because they're receiving the money, but you're responsible for paying the taxes on it. So that's just something to watch for if you, you know, make, you know, if you just can't keep track of how much money you've given away. And if, and if that's the case, give me a call. I'd love, love to be on the receiving end of some of that. Well, and remember, this is, as he said, one individual to another individual. So many times we're working with a couple. That means each person, uh, you know, dad can give the daughter 15000 and mom can give the daughter 15000 for a total gift mm-hmm. of 30000 And grandma can and grandpa and aunts and uncles. Wouldn't that be nice? You can just go around finding all kinds of people. <laughs> what is the federal gift tax exclusion? So that that limit is is what's exclude you don't you don't have to report that amount. Uh, if you give more than that, then it's you have to report now, that. You have to pay taxes on that. You don't get a tax break, but you need to not go over that, or there will be tax consequences for you, the giver. And and one thing that people do this for uh, gifting is a way to just another way to take money out of your estate. Um, you know, if you uh, it, it could be part of your estate planning. Say a grandparent they want to give. Ultimately, they they want to give control of all their money and assets to their child, um, but they also want their grandchild to get some money. So maybe they want to you know start gifting money to their grandchild, setting up an account for their grandchild. Uh, just things like that. It's it's ways you can have a little more control over it. Uh, get get the ball rolling while you're still alive. All right. So then also, if the the receiver uh, needs to. Um Report this on their income tax as no. well? No. No. Okay. no. It's okay. just a gift. All right. I can I can give you money. I'm not going to, Kevin. Okay. But I can give you money, and you won't have to report it. And and as long as it's under 15000 I don't either. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting. Um, so, um, but I, I mean, I guess for Christmas, I, I don't know that there are a lot of people giving each other tens of thousands of dollars. Or well, I mean, you, you would be surprised. Um, not, not you and I, no. Uh, yeah, there are folks who uh, maybe they've saved their whole life, they've accumulated, they have nice uh, portfolios, and um, they have income enough to cover their yeah. needs. And it is their desire to do some of that, mostly for grown children, mm-hmm. to kind of help them along the way. And the other thing you mentioned, grandchildren, um, that's a favorite thing to do is to give to grandchildren to help for that future education. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, that's when we start talking about that limit of $10,000, which if you do that through Mississippi's college savings plan, that's the limit that you can use to deduct and not pay state income tax on that. Yeah. I mean, so keep in mind, when we're talking about gifting large amounts, um, it, well, people are often doing that with an estate plan in mind. It's 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 just a small part of a very, very large estate plan. And uh, before we go to break, just one final thing, uh, thinking about gift cards. I know that some of them do have some restrictions about maybe when they could be used mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So if you're going to give someone a gift card, uh, maybe do some research before you do it. And remember, it's, it's pretty much like cash, so you would want to safeguard it, make sure it gets to the intended recipient. Yes. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue our conversation. Uh, we'll, um, we're talking about ways that you can give cash as a gift. Also looking for, for those personal finance questions, as we do each week. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 So where does the tradition of receiving coins in a stocking come from? We'll talk about that and some fake money gifts. 
That comes up after this break on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Buddy Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taft. Uh, today we're talking about the gift of money, also looking for your personal finance questions. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. We have a guest in studio with us this uh, segment, which we will introduce in just a moment. But first, Laura Lee is on the line with a call from Starkville. Laura Lee, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Thank you. I just wanted, if, wondered if you could discuss the early, early learning collaboratives that are in the state of Mississippi that allow you to earmark your state taxes for early learning education for your school district. I think there are several in the state of these early learning collaboratives, and you can earmark your state taxes up to a certain point to go to early learning education in your county, and wouldn't that be a wonderful way to help a lot of children? Well, Laura Lee, I think you know more about that than we do. Well, it's called the Early Learning Collaborative, and there was a law passed in Mississippi that allows you to claim a tax credit for your state taxes. And I would encourage anyone who's interested to contact your local school district and see if they are in an early learning collaborative. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to see exactly where your state tax money is going now, do and you, what it's doing. Do you do this on your state filing? You uh, contact your school district, and if they are in a consolidated, if they're in one of these early learning collaboratives, you make your donation to them, you know, provide them your information, and then they send you a letter uh, telling you that you your donation is eligible for a one-to-one Mississippi State oh, tax okay. credit. Oh, okay. Great. Oh, that's a great idea. Yes, and the tax credit is capped at $6.5 million for the 2018 tax year. And so that's and a, that's. Everybody. So if, if nobody else is doing it, you can really make hay on this, right? Exactly. Exactly. So well, I just wanted to, to make sure. Let's see. It's, um, and then they send you a letter to file with your taxes. Do you have any kind of link you could send us that we could post out there that will um, allow people to get more information on this? Well, I'm going to give you an email for the person in charge in okay. our area in Octavia County, and she'll be able to provide you with that information. Her name is Ellen Goodman. Okay. And her email is e Goodman at Startville dot K twelve dot ms 
dot us. All right, Laura Lee, thanks for the information. Good call to get us started off with. Uh, any thoughts in the room on that? I, I just love that you can make a gift and get this wonderful, not just a, it's a tax break, but a tax credit is what she described. Right. So the and there's a couple of these, I believe, in Mississippi. And the one I'd heard about last session, I don't know if it passed or not, was a one-to-one uh, for, for a foster care, a don- donating to foster care organizations. That one was only worth about $600 to a person. But think about it this way. If you owed $600 to the state of Mississippi in taxes, you could just give that $600 to a foster care organization. And that disappears. And uh, totally um, take that off the, you know, take that away from the Department of Revenue. Um, so this is similar. Functionally, it's just a, it's, it's a tax credit. Um, they just have a couple of special rules around how you go about redeeming it. So you're listening to Money Talks. We're talking about the gift of money today, and we're looking for your personal finance questions. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Joining us uh, in studio for this segment is Deborah Casal from the MPB Foundation, who's also an ordained rabbi working in the central Mississippi area. Uh, Deborah, thanks for joining us on the show. It's great to be here. So Hanukkah has begun the holiday season. If you would tell us a little bit about uh, the Jewish traditions of gifting money or money-like items this time of year? Well, I love that our callers sort of opened up the topic of the connection between money and education because the festival of Hanukkah uh, actually is a festival of rededication. A lot of people don't know that it is uh, essentially a military, it's celebrating a military victory, a revolt, a Jewish revolt against the Syrian Greek uh, army. And when the Maccabees, who were the Jewish rebels, prevailed, their first job was to rededicate the temple. The word is Hanukkah. And there's also a connection in Hebrew between that, that word, Hanukkah, and Chinuch, which is the word for education. So there was a strong connection between Hanukkah and Torah study, education. And so initially, the giving of money as a gift, um, and it, it was called gelt. It, this kind of originated during... Uh, the time when a lot of Jews were living in Central Europe and speaking Yiddish, and so it's a it's sort of a Hebrew German uh, combination. Gelt uh, is very similar to the the German word for money. Uh, was given as gifts to teachers. It was also given as gifts to to children as rewards for for Torah study. Um, when I was a child, the story that I learned about gelt is that the reason we, we got coins, and for us it was usually chocolate coins, was because um, when the Maccabees won the battle, it was the first independent Jewish state since 586 BCE. This revolt took place in 165 BCE, and one of the first things they did was to strike their own coins. And so in celebration of Jewish independence, uh, parents would give their children these Jewish coins. Uh, It turns out that that became much more of a custom beginning with the Zionist movement and especially with the independence of the state of Israel when it became much more the thing during Hanukkah to celebrate that idea of Jewish statehood and Jewish independence. Um, And then the chocolate piece, I learned so much researching for this segment because I had no idea that in the uh, late 18th, early 19th century in Europe, 
uh, a lot of Jews were heavily involved in in the chocolate business. And so that is sort of when this idea of of giving chocolate coins became a thing. And uh, so that's very popular today. It also works out well um, with another Hanukkah custom, which is the playing of dreidel, little spinning tops, which are used. It's it's kind of a little gambling game. And so you can use the chocolate coins as as barter for the game. But I so, just so oh, then we yeah. don't count it as gambling, right? <laughs> chocolate it's coins, it's okay. It's just for chocolate. It's okay. just for chocolate. But it, it, it's interesting because it also occurred to me as I was preparing for this segment that it's a, it's a little bit fraught to be talking about Jews and money because of the centuries-old uh, anti-Semitic yeah. slander mm-hmm. about Jews being obsessed ideas. with money. And yeah. I thought I would just address that very briefly because I don't know how many people are aware that for centuries, Jews were forbidden to enter many of the professions. And so banking and money lending was one of the only professions available to Jews. And so that's how that actually got started. There's also a long tradition of Jews being exiled from their homes and having to move and be on the move. And so uh, maintaining much of one's wealth in the form of money as opposed to, say, real estate, which mm-hmm. Jews weren't allowed to own anyway for for much of modern history and uh, during the Middle Ages, or um, you know, larger objects that would be difficult to move made sense. So, so is the, the dreidel always associated with Hanukkah? Or do kids play it at other times of the year? For for Jewish kids, it's really associated with Hanukkah. But I also just learned in preparing for this segment that that is, um, it's a, the game is is actually based on an earlier Christian children's game. Of course, mm-hmm. the rabbis came up with a story that connects it back to the original story of the Maccabean revolt. During that time, uh, Jews were forbidden from studying Torah, and so the story goes that they would keep their dreidels handy, and when they heard the Syrian soldiers coming to uh, to inspect. They would hide their books and pull out their dreidels and just look like they were playing a gambling <laughs> game. <laughs> but it turns out that that's and not true. It's just a legend. It's, now it's the other way around in classes. <laughs> right, 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 right. They <laughs> well, no, uh, Debbie brought in a, a, a dreidel for us last year, and we played some at lunch. Uh, so I think we were only playing for pennies, though, if I remember correctly, and it was more like an honor. Or did we even have <laughs> pennies? I think we might have just had I don't even M&Ms or something like that. But yeah, yeah that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about uh, the celebration of Hanukkah. Maybe well, the Hanukkah 101 for folks who might not know a lot about it. Sure. Um, as I was saying earlier, it's uh, this, it's a celebration essentially of a, of a military victory. But uh, one of the things that we know is that when the the Israelite soldiers were able to get back into the temple, they had missed one of the major festivals of the Jewish calendar, which is Sukkot Falls. In, the, in autumn, in the fall, um, and it's an eight-day festival. And so that's one possible explanation for why we have this eight-day festival now in December, at mm. beginning on the date of, of the rededication of the temple. Um, and over time, it became associated with a legend of the miracle of oil, that when the Maccabees got into the temple and went to rededicate, the temple, which involved the kindling of, of the holy lamps, they only found enough oil to last for one day. And it takes a week to process 
the olive oil in the way that was necessary for the temple. And uh, they went ahead and lit the lamps anyway, and there was a miracle, and it lasted long enough for them to generate more oil. This is a legend that's found in the Talmud, and uh, it... It appears for the first time after this custom of lighting a light each night during Hanukkah had already been in existence, and it's quite possible that the rabbis were, again, looking for a way to connect a popular custom to the story and to Jewish tradition, and also from their perspective to uh, the idea of, of of God's hand being somehow behind all of this, that it's not just by human might and power, but that it was a religious victory as well. And so are we currently in Hanukkah? We are. Um, last night we lit the second candle, and tonight will be the third candle. So today is the second day of Hanukkah because Jewish holidays always begin in the evening. Um, so you have e- as in Genesis, there was evening and there was morning. So, um, yeah, today is the second day of Hanukkah, and it will continue through uh, Sunday night will be the last night, and Monday will be the last day of Hanukkah. Okay. All right. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion about the gift of money. Thanks to Debbie for stopping in and helping us understand more about Hanukkah. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Back with more after the short break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. We're talking about the gift of money today and also looking for your personal finance questions. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show, money at mpbonline.org. Uh, so one way you can give someone some money, like they would use that money to maybe go buy a gift for themselves, but also I guess you can buy things from uh, that would, I guess, be considered collectible money, um, uncirculated coin sets, proof sets, uh, that sort of thing. Have um, is, is that a decent investment, uh, or is that maybe some Something that you would give someone more as 
just an interesting gift. I, I would think of those as more as an interesting gift, unless you. I mean, there are there are folks who are very into coin collecting and who know a lot about it. And if you are either you are that person or the person receiving it is that person, then it might make sense as you know an investment. If that's if that's something you treat as an investment, there are a lot of people, particularly collecting gold coins. Um, you know, that's a little bit more considered an investment. Um, or people who, who know a lot about it. But otherwise, you know, it's it's a hobby. It's an activity. It's a collectible. Um, but you're not going to give somebody a set of, like, collectible quarters and then they're like, great, I can go buy vending machine items with it. Like, that's that's what money – money is something that you can go and exchange for goods. And if and if you're not intending them to take these collectibles to, to the grocery store, uh, then – then that's it's not money at that point. Uh, any thoughts on coin collecting? Um, I, I would agree with Ryder. I think uh, it it might be a good way to have a shared activity with someone. That if if you have some collectible that you're interested in, uh, to get this child or grandchild involved in that, and it's an educational exercise. You know, if you're talking about uh, old coins, then you can talk about what was going on at that time in history mm-hmm. and how uh, coins have changed throughout uh, the life of the country. But other than that, no. Yeah, I would think if maybe if, if there was a set of, you know, when they did all the, the state quarters, maybe you could right, do yeah. a geography lesson or something along those lines. So mm-hmm. uh, my dad, for whatever reason, I think uh, ended up with a bunch of various things. So at his, uh, his funeral, we were all kind of claiming something. And I, I think I got... I don't know, four <laughs> quarters or something, but they were, you know, nicely done up in some little, you know, kind of cardboard thing there. So uh, I don't. Yeah, they, if you're they coin might co- be something. <laughs> they could be because if you're a coin collector, you're going to have those little cases, like you say, cardboard on the outside, uh, clear mm-hmm. in the center, so you can see the coin on both sides. All right, so I'll, I'll have to find it first. And they should be labeled too, and then safeguard it so in case right. it becomes valuable. Sometimes. Uh, what about bonds? That seems to me like an old-fashioned thing, but I might be totally wrong. Well, I mean, we we got to say what kind of bonds. <laughs> Probably you're talking about savings bonds. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, double E savings bonds are often given as gifts and uh, given with the idea of that will be used for an education at some point. Um, but it does need to be in the parent's name in order to use it for the child's education. Those typically work as in if you want to buy a $50 bond, you pay $25 for it and when it matures, it becomes $50. All right. Um, There's an old commercial that says, uh, give a Coke and a smile, but I guess you could literally give someone a share of Coca-Cola. Oh, Ryder knows about this. This this is is my foundational story. This is is my... This is my creation myth. Um, well, not myth. It's a true story. Um, I guess I'm obligated to tell it. So when I was a child, uh, we didn't we didn't really have soft drinks in the house. Um, you know, four kids can't can't afford that expensive stuff. Uh, but when we went to our grandparents' house, when we went to my dad's mother's house, she always had glass bottle cokes. Always, I mean, we it was summer. It was always boiling hot, and these were always ice cold. So we'd go there, and she'd say, you know, how about you know you want a coke and she poured a tiny little half of a juice glass of Coke. I think she made one <laughs> bottle stretch between all four kids. And uh, so, like, that was always that was always quite the treat. And then one day my dad was trying to explain to me that my oldest sister, 
sister owned shares of Coca-Cola. And I was was whatever. That's okay. Fine. I'm eight years old, Dad. I'm going to go play. Um, and then one day when I realized what it meant, what it, she owned shares of Coca-Cola. She owned part of the company. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Um, it was it was way cooler than actually owning a Coca-Cola, which was, you know, a nice treat. It was owning a part of the production and, more importantly, uh, earnings and income off of that Coca-Cola. Um, and so that's that's when I started getting interested in um, in stocks and finance. And so, yeah, it, you know, and there's a lot of companies and products that children do connect with. I mean, people always think about Disney movies, um, you know, food companies. Um, and, and, and so if, if they're interested in it and they're kind of interested in a bigger way, you know, connecting, uh, connecting to the company instead of just the products is it's an interesting thing for a child and we do have a lot of clients who want to spark that interest in investing in children or grandchildren and so they're calling us saying how can i give a share of stock and there are ways to do that but as Ryder said we we always encourage them to find a company that that child is interested in, that they would know the product, and it would really click with them what's going on with this. Yeah, I could see also, too, if you wanted to, maybe a, if it were a toy company, maybe a toy and then with the toy, some stock uh, to help them. But I mean, that's a great story, by the way. I think that's that's really kind of cool, and it makes sense is that you're saying you're right. It's not just you know, I don't know, some company that they don't even know about it, but it's something that they can relate to. And I really do think that uh, could possibly spark a lot of interest in, in young investors. Uh, Mikey from Mobile has been holding on for us. Mikey, sorry for the wait, but you're on the air with us. So go ahead. I am so grateful that, um, to have you on the air. Um, first of all, um, I learned a whole lot. I've had Jewish friends for all my life, and I learned a whole lot about from your guest uh, that I can really appreciate. And also, I grew up in a no-soda house. <laughs> we, had, we had sweet tea. Okay? There you go. <laughs> and, and for Kevin, I, I can't hold off on this because I'm not sure in the Beau versus Santa war that Santa's going to last until Thursday when you have the best <laughs> dough. Okay. Um, but uh, i, I got to pass this tip on to you that you might want to try um, – Take some fishing line, or you can buy some clear um, nylon sewing thread, even a spool of that, because you're not going to need much. And um, wrap it so that you can tack Santa to the wall. Hmm. And then he might live past <laughs> thirty. <Okay. laughs> or, or even a tree, you yeah. know, even a tree. You can, you can use that. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It, it doesn't show very much or whatever. My question is, and I also got to say before I get to my question, thank you all for making things as clear to me about money and the questions that I have, as your guest did about being Jewish. Okay? Oh, well, right. Thanks. And um, my question is, if reverse, reverse mortgages, um, if the interest rates in general rise, is it likely, and this is probably a really stupid question, that those interest rates will also rise? Uh, so the relationship there is that if interest rates were rising, you would expect to get less money out of a reverse mortgage. Right. Um, the last time I heard you speak about them, you said they were at about 14%, which is, you know, credit card high. Um, but my question is, uh, I'm thinking once you sign a contract, that may be a fixed rate for that one. I don't know if they have variable rates, do they? Right. I mean, it would it would be a case of, you know, 
if if you are looking at a reverse mortgage, say you had a house worth a hundred thousand dollars, and they're like, "All right, well, we'll give you sixty thousand dollars up front." Um, you know, you know, you go back next year when the rates are higher, uh, they might say, "Oh, well, you know, we'll give you fifty five thousand dollars because rates are higher," and so that that cuts into because um, if their their return at the end of the day is still the same, and they have a higher interest rate, they have a lower starting point to get there. Um, but in general, reverse uh, <laughs> mortgages are we we do not advise those. We do not recommend uh, that sort of thing. Well, but I would think uh, again that they're probably um, based on a fixed rate when you sign up. Right. Except in the case of there are some reverse mortgages that don't just give you a lump sum; they give you money every month. So there could be some um, guidelines in that contract that allow them to adjust that amount depending on the going rate. Thank you so much again. (laughs) All right, Mikey, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. We are on Money Talks this morning talking about the gift of money. Also looking for your personal finance questions at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. And I know, again, not two creature comforts yet on Thursday, but my cat will knock not only the Christmas tree over, but then will also bat at the ornaments hanging from from well, said tree. I, I remember seeing someone who um, they hung their Christmas tree from the ceiling. Oh wow! I've seen that too. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, architects. That's I'm, interesting. Engineers. I'm you thinking. Strain uh, your neck to see what's what's on it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, so w- one thing I was thinking of when we were getting back to the okay, topic about you. about donating stock. Uh, so, yes, a great way to get, uh, you know, maybe a good way to get kids interested uh, in, in, in something other than just the product. But when you're giving stock, keep in mind that the recipient, they receive it. Um, if, if it is a live person giving it to a live person, they are receiving it at the same cost basis you have. So um, don't don't be cruel and give somebody a tax nightmare right um yeah you know so if 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 you're trying to get rid of stock if you're giving a larger amount it makes more sense just to give cash um and you can even say give cash put it directly in their account and buy something for them but don't one sometimes transferring assets depending on you know where you're holding it it can be very complicated but also you know say you bought something a long time ago for a thousand dollars and it's now ten thousand dollars you are handing someone a nine thousand dollar uh, capital gain, which they're going to have to pay tax on sometime, which is fine. You're still giving them money, but bear in mind, it's, it's not as nice as it sounds. Well, um, giving appreciated stock is perfect for a donation, a exactly. charitable organization. Yes. But as you say, if you want to give to a person, it's better to give them the cash mm-hmm. and then allow them to choose a stock that they can then invest that money in. Yeah. And they start fresh with their own cost basis. And so that that's something when we talk about, um, you know, for especially for a child giving to their education, doing it into a five two nine account. You give cash into that account, but it invests and grows. Uh, maybe for a child, uh, maybe a teenager has a job, has a summer job. Maybe a young adult, young professional. You can contribute. You can uh, give them money so that they can contribute to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, whatever makes sense for them. And that's another great way to get them started. Again, you're still getting giving them something that. They they can invest and let it grow. You're still connecting them with their broader financial picture, um, but you're not handing them a tax complication because 
if your first lesson about finance and stocks is, man, this is awful that I have to deal with all these tax complications, you're really going to turn somebody off to all of that. So if you're maybe if your child received a gift of a, a share of stock or whatever, what, so what are some things to think about if you get some stock? Do you have to open an account somewhere? I mean, how would you? Well, um, yeah. for most, I mean, you can hold it in certificate form. Um, but we don't recommend that. And yeah, that's they're not making common that. They're making days. it more convoluted to do that as um, well. You would have to open an account in that person's name. And if we're talking about a child, typically that would be a uh, Uniform Gift to Minors Act account. Everyone just says Ugma. So that uh, there is an adult who is the custodian of that account, but it is that child's money and uh, and then it can be placed there and it has to be a brokerage account that can hold that stock. Okay. Um, and a reminder, by the way, uh, the stock market will be closed tomorrow. The president has uh, called for a day of mourning uh, and the death of President, uh, former President George H.W. Bush. So just a, a note there. As we go to our last break this hour, you're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Uh, when we wrap up, we'll talk about uh, uh, who to give tips to that uh, have helped you out service-wise throughout the year. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Back to wrap up the show after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Tapp, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. We've been talking about the gift of money today and also taking a couple of personal finance questions. There's still time to work in a call and a question if you have one at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 um, 60% of us gave tips to one or more service providers during the holidays last year. It's according to a recent survey on holiday con- tipping conducted by Consumer Reports. Um, and so the idea, I guess, then, is who would you go about and tip? Uh, some suggestions from moneyunder30.com. I think they put this nicely, so let me just read what they put. Thinking back on your year and who's helped you can also be a great way to approach the holiday season with gratitude. Rather than looking at tipping as an obligation, we should think of it as an opportunity to honor the people that make our lives better. So, uh, but uh, during the break, we did have a, a bit of a conversation that uh, if you tip someone for the service they give you throughout the year. Do you owe them extra at the end of the year? Exactly. That's the question. Right. Well, so, I think from uh, from researching this, it's if you have an ongoing personal relationship 
if if you and your hairstylist, you know, you, you rely on them and you go to the same one and you go frequently, maybe that's the kind of thing. If you order tons of things from Amazon and you want to thank your letter carrier, uh, that's the kind of tipping they're suggesting here. Very good. And so I think that that makes sense because my point when we were talking during the break was that when I get my hair cut, I just whoever the next stylist you is. You give them a tip then. Right? right, right. But it's like I don't ask for Francois or something. Um, Francois. <laughs> Why not? What, 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 did, what did Francois do to you that you don't, did he not cut it right last he time? He dyed my hair the wrong color. Uh, That's what it was. Also, the building superintendent. I can't tell. <laughs> there's not enough hair to tell. Uh, the building superintendent. In my case, I own my own house, so that would be me. Well, I guess. but if you live in an apartment, right, right, right and right. Uh, tip yourself, you know, if you have a doorman or someone who that you want them to feel good about you, and in fact, Ryder has a story here, don't you? About you're going to have to remind me what it is. Oh, it's about the stewardess. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is something I'd always heard was a good idea on a plane. Um, I'd never heard of it. It it used to be a recommendation, um, you know, getting, you know, the the thing on planes, you want to get bumped to first class because it used to be pretty much stewardess discretion, right? Like whoever like treats them, you know, they, there's a free seat. Hey, you want to move to first class? Now it's a very formal process. It's a little, you know, it's based on who's flown the most with that airline. But people always say, you know, you know, be nice to your stewardesses, bring them a gift. And I would always I'd always thought about that before I went on on a flight, but always one, you know, leaving out of Jackson, it's like I'm on this plane for 30 minutes. I you know, is it worth a $25 gift or something? Um but also, you know, who do you give it to? Do you give it to one? What do, they, do you give something for everybody? Do you give it to the pilot? Are they going to think you're trying to poison them? Like what? What do you? I didn't understand. And so this past uh, over Thanksgiving, I was traveling uh, to, uh, with my fiance, and she ha- we were we had a long layover in Chicago. It ended up being uh, four more hours than we anticipated. And a friend of hers who was a um, a stewardess or airline hostess or whatever. I'm not sure the terminology. The term now? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not flight sure. Attendant. Flight attendant. Flight attendant. Thank you. Um, why was I not thinking of that? Um, he suggested that or he or she, I, I don't know, uh, suggested, you know, go go get a gift for your for for your flight attendants that, you know, they've they've had a long day just like you have. And uh, so we did. We went and got a box of chocolates and you know ha- just handed it to the uh, lady who was standing behind our row. Um, so, you know, she seemed like she was going to be the one taking care of her, taking care of us. Um, and let me tell you that. That is the key to unlock the plane. <laughs> it paid off. Uh, huh? We uh, we got moved to our own row, uh, and then you know they were they were just they're very generous when you know the food cart came around. You know they kind of you know made sure they saved you know because sometimes that food runs out. They you know made sure that we still had options when they came to us. When the drinks cart came around, you know kind of a wink and a nod there, and maybe we got a little extra something. Um, so the, I mean it, it's just you know okay so if, you know you you take care of someone you treat someone well they treat you well. As well, and, and you know they do have a good bit of discretion, and you know it was very nice. And I mean, people just you know they came up and just said you know thank you to us, and, that, and it just made for altogether much more pleasant flight. And I'll say when they bumped my knee with the food cart, I did get some free cookies, uh, so that's good Ooh, too. Yeah, either take some abuse or give some <laughs> gifts. You know, whichever route pays the dividends. All right, uh, we've got a caller on the line. It's Nancy from Byram. Nancy, thanks for calling. You're on the air with us. 
you. I'm wondering why um, I would have, for the first time in the 12 years I've owned my home and property here, uh, why I would have received from the county a tax notice that shows my homestead exemption plus an additional amount that seems to be a balance owed. My taxes are always folded into my monthly mortgage, so I'm concerned and curious about why this new notice. I haven't talked to the tax office yet, but I'm wondering if you know anything about that. Um, That does seem odd, because as you say, if they're sending the bill to the uh, mortgage holder, and the mortgage holder is going to pay that, and sometimes it's, it's more than they had anticipated, so that means they're going to bump up your monthly payment. But if they're sending you something saying there was an amount that's still owed, I would be a little concerned about maybe that bill being cleared out. You do need to first call the tax office and get some explanation, get them to tell you when was the last time the mortgage company paid, did they pay in full, and then start backing up from there dealing with your mortgage company, because they're going to be the ones dealing with any extra they should be if they're paying it appropriately. Yeah, and and keep in mind, um, those checks are usually sent out in the beginning of the year um, is when your mortgage company will pay it. So um, at the end end of the year is when the county is sending bills. I also received, I don't think I remember receiving one of these before, but I just received the, you know, the small kind of postcard bill from the county tax office. I, uh, this was just a couple of days ago, um, my mortgage company also pays my taxes. So I don't know if this is simply, a, a a duplicate, just saying, just you know, letting you know someone, what's going on. Someone's got to pay it because, right. in, in, and oftentimes, if you have a bill on auto pay, you know, you'll have the full bill look like the normal bill, and just at the bottom it says, "Do not pay." You know, this is on auto pay, or or um, if you have already made arrangements to pay don't worry about this. This is just letting you know. So it might just be kind of a notification, um, but definitely, uh, as Nancy said, check with the county office. Make sure you're you're good for this year and ask them, you know, if anything's changed um, and then just double check with your mortgage company. Say, hey, you're going to pay this, right? And, and if the amount has changed, your mortgage company may not be receiving these notices. So if the amount has changed, I mean, this does happen, that the mortgage company sends the wrong amount, and they just have to end up dealing with that later. Because if you think about it, they're receiving, you know, they have to handle thousands of these. And the amount may change because the tax has increased. Or decreased. uh, well, if that we, would be unusual. Um, or there's been um, a reappraisal of your property. And mm-hmm. so the property is being appraised at a higher amount, and that would automatically mean your tax is more. All right. Thanks for the call, Nancy. That is going to wrap us up today. Just quickly, very some things that maybe if you have an ongoing relationship with a hairstylist, a building superintendent, a home health aide, a babysitter, a pet groomer, consider making a tip. People that can accept cash, nursing home workers, mail carriers, FedEx, uh, and teachers. And it says don't... Pre- tip your accountant or your doctor. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash moneytalks or listen to the podcast. Search for Money Talks on your favorite podcast app. Our show's producer is Liz Gill and the call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Nancy Lotter-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's In Legal Terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks Heard only on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.